Hello and welcome aboard our podcast, Fighting Catholic Jetlag. My name is JC and I'll be your host. I'm a flight attendant and I'm on a journey to find my place within the Catholic Church. I'll be accompanied by my friend and co-host, Father Larry Hostetter, priest of 34 years and doctor of sacred theology. He's a Catholic University president and for our discussion, he'll serve as spiritual ground control to keep things on course for our flight back to faith. At times, we'll be navigating through difficult and uncomfortable issues, so prepare for a bit of turbulence along the way. There won't always be easy answers, but no subject will be off the table. If you're ready to explore your own doubts and questions and rediscover your faith with us, then sit back, buckle up, and enjoy our flight to faith. Do you want anything from this gift box? Always. <laughs> what is it? We got snacks. Oh wow! Delicious. This chocolate is really good. If we want to open it, I'll try a little. It's a good gift box. Yeah, it's from Nashville. Nashville, the town. Nashville, mm-hmm. the, the yeah. No. Yeah, it's from a, not 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 the city. Didn't give it. The mayor decided to send. But somebody in Nashville. <laughs> There you go. Oh, thank you. I actually, speaking of um, the gifties, I've got you an advent gift. Oh, how nice. I actually got them for Christmas. <laughs> but mm. I figured it would be good for advent because then you can actually put them to use over the Christmas period. Oh, my gosh, I will. <laughs> Are we recording? Yes, we are. You want to show the microphone mm-hmm. what you've got? <laughs> Look to your speakers. <laughs> Rebecca got me, excuse me, I'm chewing on a piece of chocolate. It's really good. Oh, I'll try some. It's got... Delish. It's got spices in it. Actually, there's a little bit of heat after at the end. Mmm. Anyway, Rebecca got me these socks. Uh, they are, it says sockreligious.com. <laughs> they are dark blue with stars. And then the big star is the star of Bethlehem. And uh, depicted is the Holy Family in the stable, surrounded by uh, shepherds. And on the foot, on the sole, are the three wise men, a Mm -hmm. a shadow of the three wise men heading towards uh, Bethlehem. And then it says, oh, come let us adore him. I love him. And at the top, these must be Catholic because it has JMJ. (laughs) JMJ plus USA. I'm not sure what that means. But JMJ, those of you may not know, um, those of you who went to Catholic schools, you might have had to do this. It's Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. And so oh. school kids would always put, we were taught to put JMJ at the top of their page. So their homework was always JMJ as a sign of respect and, and dedication to the Holy Family. Um, and, uh, of course, people that did different things. There's also... A-D-M-G, no, A-M-D-G, which is the the Jesuit motto, the first letters of that, which means to God all the glory. And so you can often tell 
whether somebody's been to Catholic school, because even adults will continue that tradition when they write letters, because nobody writes letters anymore. No. Um, put JMJ on on the top. Interesting. So, yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So that's pretty cool. Rebecca is wearing her red. I thought the British were wearing, or the England was wearing. Um, white with white. blue shoulders. Uh-huh. Yeah, this is our away shirt. Okay. And they're wearing the home shirt during the World Cup. All right. So like she's it. wearing her away shirt with the emblem of the three lions. That's right. Which is the crest of England. And do you know what that star means? There's a star over that. I don't know. It means we've won the World Cup once. <laughs> oh, so you get a star for every time mm-hmm. you've done. Who has the most stars? Um, I'm guessing it'll be someone like Brazil or Portugal. Yeah, let's um, take a look. Argentina. Who won, who won most World Cups? Let's see. Brazil. Uh-huh, yeah. Five they, times. They lost really bad yesterday. They were two good games that were on yesterday. Who who were they playing against? Um, oh no, they played Croatia. They lost to Croatia. Croatia, yeah. Well, we have some Brazilian students, and every time Brazil would play, they would be watching in the Moore Center, mm-hmm. and it was very intense. Um, uh, Brazil, I think, like Argentina too, and a lot of the South American countries take their soccer, oh, their very football, serious. very very seriously. Yeah, uh, but guess who? Uh, tied for second. Was it Germany? Germany and Italy. Yeah. Germany most recently won in 2014. I remember when that happened. Previous to that, it was 1990. Then 1974. I remember that because I was a kid in Germany then. Oh, that's cool. Um, Gad Miller. And then 1954. And then Italy won in 2006. 1982, 1938, and 1934. Who won last year? When um, I got it right here. Huh? Was it France? I think France are defending champions right now. Are they? So this might be an old uh, list you're looking at. Yeah. I think, I'm pretty sure it was France because we're playing them today in an hour. So that's a big deal because mm-hmm. France and England have yeah. often gone <laughs> at each other historically. One time the King of England was also known as the King of France. Is that uh, Charles? I think I think it stopped with maybe uh, before him. It, it might have stopped with the because there was enough. Was it Charles the uh, second? No, first Charles the first is the one who was executed. Oh, um, I think it was before then. Oh, okay. It was it was, it was before then. I keep thinking because um, I have a King Charles Cavalier, so I keep thinking. Oh yeah, yeah. He he, uh, he designed that. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, that dog apparently yeah it keeps him warm in his carriage he had like five of them that sat on his lap and his feet and it's funny because our dog lady she it's like instinct she just needs to sit on your lap or your feet right it's really it's quite funny it was france 2018 was the last time it was played so i don't know what i was thinking oh Uh, yes it is because yeah and then germany before that spain italy brazil france Brazil. Yeah. So England has not won since 1966. That's right. Uh, you all have a pretty good team from what I understand. I feel like we're yeah. quite strong right now, but as long as it doesn't go to penalties. Uh, so, what, you did something else? Did you do something to your hair? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm now a brunette. 
Oh, yeah. I don't I have a hard time describing this, but I thought something looked a little bit different. And I really need, we needed a third person here to confirm that for me. I call it Irish Catholic chic. Irish Catholic chic. I like it. It looks very nice. Thank you. It's very nice. There are a lot of bronze around, so I'm not that pale. And really oh, dark. well. So what, yeah. what made you decide to do that? Just winter. I like to go a little darker for winter. I usually just go like a more of a caramel blonde. Right. And she ran with it. So we'd also have uh well, it looks great. Thank you. And we also have Stella is here with us today. Um maybe we'll take a picture of her. Yeah. For the And we also actually speaking of social media, I have created a new Instagram for us because we cannot get our old one back right now. Are you still under the ban or something? My old account is under the ban. And our... Hold Stella so everybody can see your new hair. I'll take a picture yeah, of you, too. Thank you. She, was, she had that in her mouth and I <laughs> picked her up. Yeah. She's like, wait a minute. What are we saying? I don't know, but I know we have to be done by one. That's right. Before one, so you can get home to watch this very important game. Exactly. Oh, new, puck, new Instagram. Oh, yeah. So... Now we are Fighting Catholic Jet Lag Podcast uh-huh. on Instagram. Oh, so we do have a new Instagram. Mm-hmm. All right. I'll Created 10 minutes that. ago. 10 minutes ago. So check that out, <laughs> folks. Follow us on Instagram and say it again for me so I can. It is Fighting Catholic Jet Lag Podcast. Catholic. So we'll be posting show pictures and notes and everything like that on there. Found it. Forward. So, to make sure we get to the game, mm-hmm. let's jump right in. Yes. By the way, next week, we hope to have another guest to talk a little bit about some contemporary theology, um, some movements in in the church that maybe you don't hear about mm-hmm. very often, um, but are very important um, in that they try to push the envelope a little bit. Uh, so we will have uh, Dr. Emily Damore, who is the head of our Center for Caritas here at Brescia University. So, yeah, we will have a guest next week, which is very exciting. I like having guests on. I think last episode went quite well. Mm-hmm. Um, we had some shares around that we maybe wouldn't have come across before, uh, people sharing it. So it's good. It was great. Um, we had Carrie. Um Fulton Turner, mm-hmm. and Lauren Martin McCrary as our guests. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, give it a listen. I oh, think yeah. we had a lot of people definitely listen to that one. It was good because they gave a, a good parents view of things, right? which was nice to have for a change. And then actually... So you're not yelling at me. Now, if, if JC were here, she would have yelled at me about eating this chocolate while I'm trying to talk. I know. I don't mind. I'm eating it too. It's uh, tasty. It's... um. It's spicy. Yeah, I like it's got that a chili. Heat, slow roasted. What does it say? Cinnamon chili, chocolate from Nashville. Delish. I went to see uh, little Reagan last weekend in the Nutcracker. Oh, how was that? I hear they they do a nice production of the Nutcracker. They've been doing it for years. It's phenomenal. I was very impressed actually. They had um, some professional dancers there as well, and Reagan did a fantastic job as one of the archangels. And she was very sweet. Did you have a speaking role too? or She danced. Uh, no one had a speaking role, I don't think. It was all music, dancing, and it was beautiful, though, and very unexpected. I didn't know. I thought it was a 
more of a children's production, but it was very good. And I'll make sure I go next year. Anyway, I have found a little bit more information about what Emily will be talking about. Ooh. Dr. Moore will be talking about next week. She's involved with the Center for Christogenesis, which is a contemporary um, theological movement oh. to try to understand how uh, God works in the world. Um, and it's connected to the Catholic Church um, and connected to some work that's been being done since even the 50s through uh, uh, Pierre Tyre de Chardin, who was a Jesuit priest theologian. Oh. And talked about how everything is evolving and moving towards uh, a, a greater um, manifestation of God in the world through the Christ. Really? So, I, and I'm probably not saying that right, but Dr. Demore will talk about that a little bit more. So if you're interested in contemporary theology, maybe some things that you never thought about before, uh, tune in next week. I How think it'll exciting. be exciting. I can't wait for that. Yeah. I'm going to make sure I prepare some questions. Yeah, absolutely. So yes, you have some questions for today, though. I have a few questions, yeah. Um, I'll read out what I text to you. Okay. And then maybe we'll go from there. So I've been thinking more this week about... It's actually, to be honest, it's come from a book that I've been reading. Uh -huh. And I read a line about... God being right and just. And then for some reason it hit more than it ever has. I know we say it in mass, every every mass we mm -hmm. say it, and it's it's just never quite sunk in because I think growing up, I understood God as maybe being more of the I don't want to say not the punisher, but you it's you'd be punished if you did something wrong. Mm -hmm. And rewarded if you don't, if you do something good and um, vice versa. So I, that's the way I've always saw it. And so there was some fear maybe there and um, respect and understanding that just, I don't know, that he can get mad. Right. And he, if, he knows if you're naughty or if you're nice. Kind exactly. of a, a, a giant Santa Claus in the sky. That's it, right? <laughs> so that's the way I've just always saw God growing up and then it like thunder and lightning like oh God's mad like mm -hmm. you know that kind of thing over the last few years though since learning more about the Catholic faith and joining the church and going more into depth with everything that's gone away and it's more God is loving God forgives God loves everyone and more and more that has taken over that whole space of my thoughts and beliefs until last week well this last week that I read again about God being just and it just made me question really so I read something last week that reminded me more that it isn't all roses which made me think is that the people I'm learning from and their influence on how I see God now as being love or is it more the Catholic Church that is focused on that rather than the Old Testament side of God, which is to punish us? So I didn't know whether that was just the circle of people that I'm around, whether that's the message that we're coming across, because I know that's a big message that you give. Um, <laughs> so I don't know whether that's what it is and that's how I've gone to that, or is that just how 
the Catholic faith is? Yeah, that's a really good question because, and lots of people have had that this question since the very beginning. In fact, uh, I think it was Marcionism, one of the early thinkers in the church, Martian, I think that was who it is, M-A-R-C-I-O-N, who argued that there were really two different gods. There was the God of the Old Testament, mm -hmm. there was the God of the New Testament, and the God of the Old Testament was the God of punishment and fear, and the God of the New Testament was the God of love and, and mercy. That was condemned as a heresy oh. by the church, that there is not there are not two gods. There is only one God, and the God of the Old Testament is the same God as the God of the New Testament. But we still have to deal with the fact that in the Old Testament, God doesn't fool around. No. I mean, you know, the, uh, the flood. You know, so, There's a lot of angry, mean. Uh, you know, the flood, Jericho, Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, God just doesn't, if, if something's wrong, it, you know, it's lightning and thunder and all sorts of horrible things. Uh, there was an interesting YouTube video I watched not too long ago that was wrestling with this idea. And the, the guy that put it on actually did what would be God's death count in the Old Testament. Oh. <laughs> just based on, because sometimes it says, and God slew. Smited you know, by God. Yeah, <laughs> sm smoten, yeah, smoten by God or smitten, not smitten, smoten. I'm not sure what the past tense of smite is. I don't know. Um, and... Um, it was in the millions. Oh, wow. Yeah. And it it was like, and on the other hand, in the Old Testament, the devil has 10 deaths attributed to him. So what's going on? Yeah. And why is he not punishing the people that are bad now? Well, this person had a really good insight and a good understanding of how to read the ancient scriptures. This is why we as Catholics don't take the scriptures literally mm -hmm. that we always look for the deeper meaning what's what's the meaning yeah. behind this it's not so much that god flooded the whole world with you know noah's ark that's 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 a mythological story uh -huh. what what is the story trying to teach us you know that in god all things are reborn you know that despite our evil the things that we can do that are bad God can bring out new birth and new life, mm -hmm. which is represented in Noah and the ark and the rainbow and, and all of that. There's never an intent to try to say this actually happened historically, mm -hmm. but yet God is represented in that way. And why is God represented in that way in the Old Testament and not in the New Testament? Exactly. So this person's argument was, and I, I think it's a fair argument that in the Old Testament, God was presented as a king. And a king such as the kings that existed in and around where the scriptures were written. So mm -hmm. around the Palestine area, around where Israel is and in, in the Levant, the Middle East, and kings there were responsible for basically two things, um, making sure everything was well-ordered, society was well-ordered, and people obeyed the laws. He was the law giver. Mm -hmm. The king was the law giver and the law enforcer. 
and the king was expected to go to war. So when they had this understanding of who God was, because remember, our understanding of God evolves mm -hmm. over time, they, and, and they thought of God as king, that's what they thought of. So if God is like a king, well, then, yeah, he's got to do these things. And so to them, thousands of years ago, when these things were written, it wasn't a big deal. Well, yeah, God, if people aren't behaving, God's going to punish them. Mm -hmm. um, that, that's just common sense. Why would anybody disagree with that? Um, and of course, God's going to go to war against the, the enemies of his people, you know, as he did with the Egyptians and when they moved into the Holy Land and, you know, became a warrior nation. Um, obviously, God's going to do that. That's that's what kings do. This mm -hmm. is and, and so over time, of course, our understanding of who God is evolves, you know, and so uh, it's a, like a lot of things that happen in the Old Testament. God's blamed for everything. So if there's an earthquake, oh, we did something wrong, so God punished us with this earthquake. Well, okay. that's that's a kind of a primitive way of interpreting things. It's a pre-scientific way of interpreting things. But when you don't know where earthquakes come from mm -hmm. or where floods come from or hailstones come from and that there's a scientific explanation for that because science hasn't been invented yet. Um, so, you know, all of a sudden you've got these pieces of ice falling out of the sky. Well, clearly God must have done that. Yeah. Or, or if you're not Jewish, the gods yeah. must be doing this, you know? And so in the ancient Greek world, everything had a God, you know, war was explained by a God. Love was explained by a God. The oceans were explained by a God. You know, everything was explained by a God or something supernatural. Yeah. And so in the same way, in a world that was very harsh, uh, where life was difficult, where people in authority really used that authority in very violent ways, and you as an individual had no rights, you know, mm -hmm. because you belonged to the king or the ruler, um, that way of interpreting God made sense. By the time the New Testament was written, that was no longer the way the Jewish people interpreted God. There was a much more, even among the Jewish people, much more, the Pharisees, for example, had a much more compassionate understanding of God. Okay. Um, and, and that God didn't need to constantly be appeased. Um, and then, of course, what happened with Christianity that's what started. And then over time, we developed even a, an idea of the angry God, you mm -hmm. know, the great paintings of the last uh, judgment where yeah. Jesus is up there and some people are going to hell and some people are going to heaven in the Catholic tradition. And then Protestant tradition, you had um, sinners in the hands of an angry God, you know, one of the great sermons of early American Puritanism. So we've bounced back and forth between that. There's something that we need in our in ourselves that an angry God comforts us somehow. Yeah. And and I think that may be when we experience injustice that we know it's going to be made right. The yeah. the unjust are going to get their comeuppance. Yeah, that makes sense. It also makes sense about that because. 
what I couldn't quite tie with is, okay, so why were these people suffering so much and we are not? But it's the same things are happening. We're still getting the earthquakes. We're still right. getting the, we just had COVID. Like all of these things that are coming to us, but we have other ways of explaining it. Whereas yeah, we don't blame God. It was God that we blame. So then we just understand it differently now. Now, some people do. Some people still do. You know, yeah. um, when Hurricane Katrina came along, there was actually a group of Christians that said God caused Hurricane Katrina because of New Orleans' attitude towards gay people, that it, they were, were too open about wow. gay people. And so that God sent a hurricane. Yeah, that's not a God I believe no. in. Natural things happen and Obviously, everything happens. God knows everything's going to happen, but God doesn't directly cause things mm -hmm. to happen. He permits things to happen, but doesn't cause evil, but always can bring good out of evil. Makes you know? sense. Yeah, because I've, I've, on that same line as well, it's people would say, how could God let that happen? But that comes into the free will aspect, doesn't right. it? He can't interject with stuff that he's already given us free will to right. do so i guess he's just up there watching he can't really do anything at all when we're here well or not god know. could intervene and many people believe god does sometimes intervene in a miraculous way to prevent something bad from happening um and many people feel like you know when when they've been saved from something that god is the one who you know yeah saved them from that. So God can do anything God wants to do. Um, and it's, it's, it is one of the, another difficult question of trying to understand why God doesn't yes. intervene in when, when horrible things happen. Um, I'm not sure we will ever have an answer that will satisfy anyone on that. Cause I'm always very reluctant when something when somebody is saved from an accident and somebody says, oh, God is good, God took care, and and somebody else in that accident was killed, it's like, okay, yeah, why was God good to this person but not to this person? Exactly. And, you know, one could say there's a reason because that person had something that they still had to do in life. You know, there's all sorts of ways that one might interpret that. But I think we have to be careful about attributing things to God, good or bad. Mm -hmm. I think we can, we should thank God for the blessings that we have mm -hmm. in life. But you know, sometimes somebody survives surgery because of the skill of the surgeon. Mm -hmm. Now, the skill of the surgeon is a gift from God. Yes. So, you know, that you could say that's the way God was was involved, but that surgeon still had to take advantage of that gift and had to be the one to <laughs> she's enjoying your your <laughs> attentions <laughs> stella's not letting uh rebecca concentrate today she doesn't understand why we're doing all this talking she wants to speak too you you brought up the idea that god is merciful but god is also just mm -hmm. so how would you if somebody were to ask you well is god just and can you why, why would that be important to maintain? It's difficult. Like, I think in the end, when he's making his decision, when we're up there in front of him and he's and we get that 
do you want to join me in heaven? I think that's when it ultimately is that just moment. But actually when we're here on earth, I don't know because I really like I'm big on the free will thing. And Mm -hmm. I think that's pretty much how I could explain to myself. And Eric asks me a lot of questions too. Right. Um, That we have our own free will. Like we decided to go that road and, I don't know. It's it's difficult, really. And it is difficult, but I do think we have to somehow uh, deal with the fact that we believe God is just. God is merciful, uh-huh. all compassionate, all loving, but we also believe that God is just. And um, I think one way we can look at that God's justice is to take a look at some of those examples in the Old Testament and ask ourselves, what is it that made God mad? Okay. Because God is described as angry. Uh-huh. Often, in especially in the Old Testament, all sorts of emotions are ascribed to God. Again, people seeing God as just a greater expression of themselves, of, of humanity. And so uh, you'll see sometimes it, the scriptures will say God regretted his decision. You know, and and uh, especially when, you know, God meets out punishment in the Old Testament, and then it'll be God regretted the decision. Well, what what does that mean? I should probably know the Hebrew to get a better sense of what that idea of regret is. But it's it's kind of like when we do something, we realize, okay, maybe I shouldn't have been so harsh. Yeah. And so that's where God's mercy comes into play. But when you look at the things that make God angry, I think that gives us a sense of what God's justice is all about. And one of them you've tied in already. So God gives us free will, uh-huh. but it God is depicted as being displeased when we use our free will <laughs> yeah. uh, to worship other gods or to not have God at the center of our lives. Mm-hmm. So it was one of the first things that the Israelites did after they left Egypt, what they do. They, they built the golden calf. Remember, Moses was on the mountain to get the Ten Commandments. They yes. were like, we need we need a God we can see and we can worship. So they got all the gold together, melted it, and built a golden calf. And then, of course, God, Moses came down, and they were all dancing around the golden calf, worshiping <laughs> the golden calf. And uh, it upset God uh, <laughs> and Moses. Um, but... In the Old Testament, God is is depicted as a jealous God. I want no other gods. You can't you can't have any other gods besides me. And it's the first commandment of the Ten Commandments. Yeah, you know, so it's an important one. But what does that mean? Does that mean you know that that the God is upset because he wants us just for himself, and he's a selfish God, or he doesn't want any, any competition from other people? Because that's sometimes how people interpret it. Yeah. See, I thought it was more about, like, idolizing someone here on Earth, like, giving p- that power to someone. So it could even be a priest mm-hmm. that you look up to right. like that and you follow from church to church or something instead of actually being for the church. Or it could be a celebrity even. Right. But why do you think that makes God, in the Old Testament, makes God angry? I guess because it's... Well, it's, I don't, I can't explain it. I don't, I feel like, I feel like I know it because it's not God. Obviously, it's not where we should, it's not where we end up. We don't end up with the celebrity. Exactly. That's, it's everything I think has can be interpreted in God's love. 
God loves us so much. Even the prohibition of worshiping idols is rooted in God's love for us because he knows we're not going to be happy with that. Mm -hmm. That that false God, that false direction that ultimately will make us unhappy. And God wants us nothing more than for us to be happy. Okay. And he lets us do it because we have free will. Mm -hmm. That's the justice part. You know, it's like, this is the part that if this is what you want to do in my justice and love, even justice flows from love. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's the way things work. If that's what you want to do, I'm not going to force you otherwise. So God is being just in that case. Um, like a parent. Right. Yeah. 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 That's the way that I was imagining. So it's funny because I, we were talking about it in prayer group because it was this book that we're reading right now that triggered this. And I said, like, it just seems such an, a distant memory in a way that God gets mad. And it's like a grandparent. Like, I have a grandparent that is the, the sweetest guy, like, but he's serious as well. And I've never, he's never shouted at me. I heard him shout at my uncle once, though, and it terrified me to the core. And he's just this loving mm -hmm. guy and he's so great with all of us, but you don't want to make him mad. And I feel like I kind of see God as like that now. Like he can get mad, but he won't get mad at me because I'm not right. <laughs> And as I mentioned earlier, there, I think there are two reasons why God gets mad. One is the idols, uh -huh. which is like the first three parts of the, the Ten Commandments. And then you look at the remaining ones. What makes God angry in the Old Testament sense of understanding God's anger is when we act unjustly towards others, mm -hmm. when we mistreat other people. I think it all can be boiled down again to love, that call to love. And when we act in an unloving way, that's what makes God angry. So the story of Cain and Abel. You know, started out with a violent act of homicide. Noah's Ark, the world had become violent and um, ugly and people weren't treating each other uh, with, with respect. Even Sodom and Gomorrah. Most scholars today believe that that has nothing to do with homosexuality, but has everything to do with the uh, value of hospitality and that the citizens wanted to abuse the guests of Lot. Um, and that's what the punishment was rooted in, was their uh, desire to abuse the guests. And that was a, a major taboo. And you can see this throughout the Old Testament. And God's main concern is always around three categories of people uh, the widow, the orphan, and the resident alien, which we would call an immigrant today, um, because they had no way of pr being protected. Uh -huh. They they were completely dependent on others, other protections, and misusing them. So when you look at the prophets, and when God speaks through the prophets and says, you all need to change what you're doing, he often refers to the mistreatment, especially by those in authority, as the reason why God is sending something or God is angry with with 
his people. It's because of how they're treating each other or how they're treating the most vulnerable in their society. That, I think, remains a very legitimate way uh, and a good reminder for us mm -hmm. um, as we look at our world and how we treat each other and to say, here's really what upsets God. I mean, obviously, God in the philosophical sense can't be upset because God is all perfect. Mm -hmm. If you're all perfect, you can't get upset. But it's it's however, whatever it means for God to be upset. Uh -huh. That's that's what we're talking about. That God's sense of justice is that he is moved somehow in a divine way by injustice here. That when the poor cry out to him, uh, that moves God's heart in, in a way that, that um, touches him to his justice, mm -hmm. you know. Now, Interesting. that doesn't mean that God is going to say, okay, now I'm going to send a plague of locusts. I think we bring that on ourselves. So if you have a child who is consistently staying out late, not doing their homework, getting involved with the wrong people, experimenting with drugs and alcohol, you as a parent are not saying anything prophetic if you say, if you keep this up, you're going to wind up in jail. Mm -hmm. You know, and if let's say that child winds up in jail and they say, you sent, you cursed me to go to jail, yeah. you know, <laughs> and that's what we do with God sometimes, you yeah. know, so sometimes something bad happens and we say, oh, God did this because X, Y, and Z. But as God said through the, the prophets, if you keep behaving this way, bad things are going to happen, not because God is causing bad things to happen, but because behavior this way leads to the inevitable consequences of bad things happening. Okay. You know, so if you live your life, if, if you consistently only eat chocolate cake, you know, <laughs> There are consequences to that, and it's not its not like somebody's going to come up to you and say, you know, God caused this to you because you <laughs> consistently ate chocolate cake and you misused your body. No, that's a natural consequence of doing nothing but eating chocolate cake. You know, those things that's are going to happen well to your thing. digestive system and all sorts of things. Yeah. You know, and, and I think uh, rather than blaming God, we need to look at our own actions and say, what have I been doing? that might have aggravated this situation so it is interesting though to think about I, I keep I don't know why I keep looking at Old Testament and it's just so different to the New Testament it's like New Testament is when the lights get switched on and it's I don't know you know I think we have to be careful about that because um I, I think the Old Testament or the the Hebrew scriptures, as they're sometimes called, are um, still as much the word of God as the New Testament mm -hmm. is. Um, but I do think they require more careful study and a deeper understanding of language, culture, and history than maybe the, the New Testament does. So that you can get away from just reading it purely in a literal way, but try to get to the deeper meaning. Mm -hmm. The stories, however, are sometimes so strong and yeah. strident. And there's some disturbing things in the Old Testament. I mean, yeah. You can read through the Old Testament. There are you know things that you go, 
oh my, this did this happen? It's surprising would, that you know, it, would, it would be in there. Yeah. And but again, these were written thousands of years ago in very different societies, mm-hmm. very different rules, very different values. We can't impose how we do things today on them. We have to try to understand them for, within the context of that and understand that God was working through them. Mm-hmm. It wasn't God who was evolving. In that sense, they were evolving and they were understanding more and more of who God was. Okay. The best story for this, and I think we might have talked about this in the podcast before, is the story of Abraham sacrificing his son, oh, yes. Isaac. Yeah. I was, when I was a kid, I thought that was horrific. Yeah. You know, why would God, after he was trying to have a son all this time, why would God all of a sudden say, now you got to sacrifice your son. And and people say, well, it was a test. Well, that's kind of a cruel test. Yeah. You know, it's like, oh, never mind, you know. Um, and for some people, that's that's okay. It's like, well, that's who God is. And if God wants to act that way, God can act that way. Who am I to tell him any differently? But from my perspective, a better way of understanding that is, is an example of, of the evolution of thought mm-hmm. in, in the Old Testament. It's a perfect example of that, that... Abraham came from a culture, because Abraham is the first monotheist, Abraham and Sarah. So they're the first to abandon the old gods and to discover God is one. Okay. You know, and so he's often depicted, that's why he's considered the father of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. He he and Sarah are the parents of of those religions, because it was like, he's the one who had that first revelation, that insight, that, that God is is one and considered a historical figure. You know, he's considered somebody who's not just, you know, part of the mythology of the ancient world, but somebody who existed in, in time yeah. and space. But he, in, in accepting that, he brought with him all of the things from his culture. And we know that he came from the land of Ur and traveled mm-hmm. the Fertile Crescent to where today Palestine is and Israel is. So when he had his firstborn son, he would have thought he had to do what many of the cultures of that time were doing, which was to literally do a human sacrifice to God. Wow. That's what people did with their firstborn sons. That's That was just the norm. That was the norm. All wow. the firstborn offspring belonged to God, and or the firstborn males. And what happened when Abraham was doing that wasn't that God was saying, uh, you know, hey, I want you to do this. And then later on saying, oh, psych, you know, didn't really mean to do that. Uh, you're not supposed to do that. Um, it was Abraham's understanding that we're witnessing that he comes to understand that God is not that kind of God that demands human sacrifice. Wow. And, you know, that's that's a profound insight. And it really shows us how the Old Testament is in so many ways, an example of the evolution, our evolution as human beings of having a deeper understanding of God. So the first laws in Judaism is, you know, when you, you were supposed to make a, um, a sacrifice um, for you, when your firstborn was born, you went to the temple and you redeemed that child by sacrificing 
an animal. Okay. You know, because and so, it, yeah. So it wasn't that God was requiring a human sacrifice. It was um, tradition. It was, it was tradition and Abraham understood, came to understand something completely differently. Interesting. So all of the stories from Old Testament, as we know with a lot of the New Testament And the game is well, in 15 minutes. So. Games in 15, so we'll wrap this up. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, a lot of it's shown in windows, the stained glass windows. Mm-hmm. So the story was passed down because no one could write them. Right. So I'm assuming that a lot of these Old Testament stories were like that for hundreds and thousands of years is they just, it was word of mouth. Right. So a lot of it has probably evolved over Absolutely. time and exaggerations yeah. and things get added. Yeah. And so I can see how it's look for the meaning rather than the. Right. Cause there was nobody world. there writing all this down. You no. know, as, as Abraham was taking his son to be sacrificed, there wasn't somebody who was writing it down. Stories were told but through oral tradition at first and oral tradition differently from ours because people have. They, they tell us that before um, reading and writing, people's ability to remember details uh-huh. was probably better than than ours is. Wow, we've kind of yeah, we don't have to depend on that. It's like I anymore. don't, I don't remember a single phone number now. I used to when I was a kid because that's all I had. Yeah, but now they're all on my phone. You don't remember your home, your childhood phone number? Mm. I, I still remember that. I, I know the area that code was 01257, but yeah, that's so I can I can see that. I was uh, at the car getting my car worked on, and I had left my cell phone at home, and I needed to make a phone call, and I was like, I wonder if there's a public phone here <laughs> that I can use. I need to call the office, and obviously there wasn't, so I thought, well, I'll just ask them at the desk if I can use their phone, and I was like. I'm not sure I remember the number. Can you yeah. Google it? Yeah. <laughs> so. So what we're saying is God is still just. God is just. But our understanding of it is different. I, I Absolutely. And I think we don't want to water it down. Uh, but we have to understand it all flows from his love mm-hmm. and mercy. And that God's justice is governed by both that love and mercy and our our free will uh it's it's a god's justice is a respect for our free will but it's also i think we often look at god's justice in a, in a negative way as god punishes mm-hmm. but maybe a better way would be to look at it as god rewards or not rewards but protects yeah the oppressed the marginalized that God's justice is for them more than it is for the evil people. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I that like that it. in the end, they will be lifted up. They will be protected. And if you read the Psalms, that theme comes over and over again. That God is the one who will be the protector, the one who lifts thing, lifts up the oppressed, lifts up the down downtrodden. Uh, and, of course, Check out Mary's Song of Praise, and that might be a good um, way to end this, is to read that as our prayer. Okay. That sounds good. So um, we can do it together. So if you want to pray along, go to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 1, 46 through 55. 
give everybody a chance to get there. Mary's Song of Praise. Right. The Magnificat. It's called the Magnificat, which is Magnificat. the um the 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 old Latin, the way Latins would do titles is they would um use the first line or the first word of it. Magnificat means magnify. Okay. I I magnify the Lord. So let me find my uh let's see Luke. Did I find it before you? You did. Look at that. Verse, what did I say? Verse 46. 46 through to, is it 55? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Why don't um, don't you use yours? Okay. Can I send you a link? Why don't you read yours? And I will listen in silence. Uh Oh. My translation is a little bit different. Okay. So. (laughs) In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Saviour, for all he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with with his arm, He has scattered proud of their thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Amen. Amen. And I think that prayer beautifully describes God's mercy and justice. And Mm -hmm. it's not about punishing so much as it is lifting up. And those who are cast down in this case are the ones who are oppressing the the lowly, the underprivileged, the marginalized. I love that. You've answered all my questions. Well, I I bet you have some more. (laughs) I have lots (laughs) of questions. One of these days, somebody's going to have to answer all of my questions. So this podcast is ended. Go and love the Lord and one another. Oh, we changed it. I can't remember it from week to week. And I say, God save the king. God save the king. (laughs) (laughs) Is there a response to that? God save the king? I don't think so. Okay. I think you just shout it loud. You shout it louder. (laughs) Yeah.